0: Good morning, New Life Fellowship. Uh, My name is Pastor Sharon Swift. I'm the Connections and Equipping Pastor here at New Life. And I'm so glad that you have joined us today, whether you're uh, with us on YouTube or Facebook or on our website. Just so glad that you are here to enjoy service with us. Um, We are continuing a series on Job, the book of Job. This Lenten season, we are leaning into the fact that many are suffering in our world, that we are um, in a very similar position as we were last Lent, um, in pandemic, uh, limited in our ability to do uh, our normal activities. Um, And so we are exploring this idea of suffering this Lent and what scripture has to tell us about suffering and enduring suffering. And so it started with our uh, with Pastor Rich preaching last week, opening this series, and it continued even as we explored this theme of suffering and lament in our Ash Wednesday service. And I'm really excited to continue um, exploring Job with you today, Job chapter 2. And we're going to focus on verses 11 through 13 today and consider Job's friends and their response and what we can learn um, by looking at their response initially to Job's suffering. And so let's read Job chapter 2 verses 11 through 13. Now when Job's three friends heard all of these troubles that had come upon him, each of them set out from his home. Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. They met together to go and console and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him, and they raised their voices and wept aloud. They tore their robes and threw dust in the air upon their heads. They sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. Let's take a moment to pray. Lord, we are grateful that your word doesn't um, hide from suffering, that your word does talk about suffering. We're grateful that there's space in your word and in the body of Christ, to wrestle with these questions. And we pray that your spirit would be here to um, to guide us, to transform us, and to heal us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. When we read the book of Job as Christians, we really are turning here most of the time to find answers on suffering. And usually we're compelled by what is the biggest question of suffering. Why? Why is there suffering? Why do we suffer? Why do we suffer when it seems completely out of the blue and undeserved? And that's certainly an appropriate and understandable question. And as we continue through this book of Job, we'll find that there's no clear-cut, one-size-fits-all answer to that question. But we're going to continue to probe that question and wrestle with it as we go along. And it's going to take that kind of ongoing exploration because it's not a simple answer. But today, as we look at Job's friends and we look at chapter 2, I want to ask a different question, the one that we tend to overlook when we read the book of Job, particularly when it relates to his friends. I I want to consider that maybe the most helpful answers that we get in Job is the answer to the questions about how and not the question of why. How do we persevere in suffering? And how do we show up for others in their suffering. Because we may not understand why suffering comes and unforeseen circumstances happen, that tragedy can't always be anticipated. I mean, look at this last year and how much has happened, how much we have lost um, without having any way to uh, imagine that it would happen or be this this, um, devastating. So we know that we don't always have an answer why, But what we can understand is how do we find the strength to keep going and to persevere even when we experience this kind of tragic loss? And how do we as a community show up for others and one another when we are experiencing this loss? And Job's friends give us insight into these questions. And they're very important questions. These questions are really near and dear to my heart. Because I came to Christ through a season of intense loss and suffering. And I know I've shared my story here at New Life previously, uh, but for those of you who might be new to our church community and are unfamiliar with my story, I grew up in a very violent home and dysfunctional home. And it ultimately culminated uh, in a final act of violence that left me orphaned at 17. And I grew up as an atheist, and I didn't really have answers as to why something like this would happen and how I was going to recover. In fact, I thought maybe there was no chance of recovering. There was no answer to how. But as things unfolded, whether it was through my aunts and uncles or my best friend's parents, it was the Christians that kept showing up in my life, that kept surrounding me, and they continued to do that long after the funeral and long after the events all unfolded. And event- inevitably, I asked the question of them why? As people of faith, I wanted to know. But what was so beautiful is they didn't try to overstep and answer that question of why. They didn't try to reach an answer on God's behalf. But instead, they admitted that there are things, limitations to our knowledge of what God does and how he works in the world. And in acknowledging that, that and their limits in, in explaining why, they embraced the how. They embraced finding ways to show up for me, finding ways to create space so that I could mourn, finding ways to surround me so that I wouldn't be alone, and to help me survive this ordeal, to comfort me and to help me to cope with the loss. And see, here's that profound thing that I realized in that time. We think that the power is in answering the question of why suffering happens, but so much of the power is in asking how. How will we show up for those who are suffering? There is tremendous power in the answer to that question. And so the book of Job challenges us to let go of these simplistic explanations that we often try to grasp for. Now, Pastor Rich did a great job opening up this series and sort of breaking down some of these elements. And he um, talks about how Job really debunks one of these key explanations we often reach for, which is this retribution principle, the idea that the righteous will prosper and that the wicked will suffer, that good things will happen for good people and bad Bad things will happen to people who deserve it. This is just a patently false idea but we often reach for it and cling to it to make sense of the world. And so if you didn't get to listen to last week's sermon, I really encourage you to take a listen because it will help you understand uh, this series as it continues to unfold. There is one other critical piece of info that Pastor Rich gave last week that will help us to understand chapter two because once again, this character shows up uh, who is often translated as being named Satan. But and he appears again at the beginning of this chapter, chapter 2. But the word here in Hebrew is hasatan. And it's not a name. It's actually a title or a role. Um, and it literally is translated the adversary or the challenger. Um, and so this being is sort of acting like a, like a prosecuting attorney or even maybe like a spy kind of um, getting intelligence uh, for God. And so he's mentioned in chapter one and Rich kind of breaks down some of the explanation of his role. But we see this character again in chapter two and he is escalating uh, the suffering that Job is experiencing because he now moves not only from Job's property and children, but to Job's very own body. He's gonna allow this suffering to extend now to painful sores all over his body. Now, the burden of chronic pain is significant on Job. And over years of pastoring and and interacting with some of you here at New Life and the congregation who struggle with chronic pain for many reasons, sometimes it's visible, sometimes it's not, you're intimately aware of how bad this is. You feel Job's pain. There's no distraction or vacation that can take Job away from the constant pain and the constant reminder of pain that chronic pain delivers. I'm sure his body is like literally screaming at every moment uh, that he's uncomfortable, constantly reminding him of his situation. That's the kind of pain that Job is in in this chapter. And the scripture testifies here that this is difficult, life-altering kind of pain. These painful sores don't just escalate Job's personal suffering in a physical way. It also escalates Job's suffering in his marriage relationship as he and his wife are trying to navigate yet another blow to their family. Now, I've heard a lot of people, preachers, teachers speak harshly of Job's wife, and there is no debate that her reaction is not ideal. Um, And we can read the section and see how um, cold and um, harsh her response is to Job, but we also want to remember as we read this the kind of pain that she is also enduring. They lost ten children and are grieving a tremendous, uncalculable, incalculable loss. Let's look at verse nine. Then his wife said to him, "Do you still persist in your integrity? Curse God and die." But he said to her, You speak as any foolish woman would speak. Shall we receive the good at the hand of God and not receive the bad? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now, of course, we'd all like to respond like Job, but. We can understand that Job's wife is lashing out in her grief. She has had to bury 10 children who we can imagine she birthed, she nursed, she cared for and raised. And for a woman in this society at this time, her role as a mom would have been incredibly defining of her life. She would lose so much in this and so it's not hard to imagine why she struggles to show compassion or understanding to her husband. She is depleted by grief. And we know that many marriages don't suffer the lo- don't uh, survive the loss of a child, let alone the, the strain that losing 10 children would have put on a marriage. And so actually Job is pretty kind in his reply and recognizes that she's speaking as if God is not real, but uh, they're going to struggle to support each other in this grief. That's the the key moment here. They can't survive this just on their own. The two of them alone cannot bear this type of grief, and they can't um, comfort each other in the ways they might need right now. And so that brings us to today's passage and sets us up to see that that the reasons that Job and his wife are not going to make it alone, the reasons that friends coming alongside them is so critical, their support from their community is going to make such a difference. And so here come Job's friends from what we believe to be pretty significant distance, and they're stepping in to be a comfort in a time of great need and of great sadness. And they're not just sending word by letter or supplies, but they're able to show up with their presence to console him. And it's actually at this moment that we continue to see just how desperate Job's situation is becoming, because they can't even recognize him initially. They're a distance off, and they they can't tell that it's him. So it's not clear—is this a result from the sores and the painful um, marks of these uh, sores that have been um, plaguing him, or is it also the grief and the weight of that grief landing on him and um, and weighing him down? Whatever it is, he's quite literally disfigured by by his suffering and by his pain. So not only do they not recognize him initially? And that shows us just how bad things are for Job. But also, we see that their reaction paints an incredibly vivid picture of just how devastated they are and how bad his situation really is. Let's look at verse 12. When they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him, and they raised their voices and wept aloud. They tore their robes and threw dust in the air upon their heads. I mean, this is like an immediate, visceral reaction to seeing their friend in so much pain. And they're immediately moved to try to identify with him in tears and in grief. It's an incredibly powerful moment of solidarity. And they don't stop there. We can continue to look at verse 13. They sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. They didn't stop at this initial show of support. They saw how extreme the situation was, and they sat with him on the ground for seven days and seven nights. I mean, what a profound demonstration of sharing grief with a friend. And we see it even now in modern Judaism. It's called sitting shiva. Um, Perhaps you've heard that. Shiva actually means seven. Um, and it, it's lifted from this part of Scripture. Uh, it's, it's a standard now, actually, of grief. This display of solidarity in grief is the standard now in Judaism. And it's because of what a powerful demonstration of comfort and community. And what a beautiful gift that this culture has to offer, um, and this faith has to offer us in a picture of grief But think about it, seven days and seven nights in total silence, sitting on the ground, and they stayed because Job's suffering was so great. There's a lot we can learn from this small passage where Job's friends appear to do very little, but actually they do so very much. What they did was so significant and constructive that it's become a practice that's continued to this day. You see, it's in these moments of true grief and suffering that we see that our friends don't need expertise, but they actually need empathy. And Let me say that again. In suffering, we don't need expertise from our friends. We need empathy. We live in a culture that's filled with quick answers and easy solutions. And listen, I love a, t- a great TikTok from an expert that will break down like, this amazing information in 30 seconds or 60 seconds. I mean, that stuff is great, and there's a place for that, for sure. And Thank you to all of you young people who repost those things on Instagram so that I can see it. This very old millennial who does not have TikTok can actually watch those. They're great. And there is a place for that. But the reality is we see here the power and the benefit of the long game of empathy, of entering in. And it really confronts that quick-fix, advice-giving part of our culture. We want to have the words to say. We want to have the answers. We want to have knowledge. And it might come from a really good place because we want to shortcut the pain for our loved ones. We want to shorten how long they're grieving. But the reality is mourning takes time. There aren't shortcuts. And in that sacred space of someone else's grief, when we enter in in empathy, just as Job's friends initially enter in, Um, into a space where he can't even articulate what he's feeling yet. They provide the best comfort in these first seven days just by doing that, just by entering in that sacred space. Maybe they have no words, and maybe Job doesn't have the words yet, but he knows he's not alone, and that is enough to give him strength to make it through these first several days. You see, so much of this book of Job is actually dialogue. We haven't quite gotten there yet, but so much of it is dialogue and poetry where they circle around constantly trying to find answers to this suffering and Job's situation. But actually here in chapter 2, in this silence over seven days, this is their most powerful moment of comfort and consolation. When they attempt to interrogate Job for answers, that's when they go into this downward spiral. But these first seven days, this is their finest hour as Job's friends. In these verses, we see that answer to that first how question, that how do we persevere question. It's shown to us through Job's friends that we find that strength to persevere through our community, Through the support of our friends and family, through solidarity, that's what gets us through, what we can receive from others, that strength that we get from their presence. They stay with him until he's finally ready to talk and identify what he's feeling in chapter three. But that leaves that second question of how how do we show up for others when they're suffering? How do we show up for others in their grief? And how can we be like Job's friends in this particular chapter? How can we move past the desire to have answers or fill the silence with chatter? And where, how can we move into that deep place of empathy? Well, I want us to consider maybe what keeps us from entering into the pain and the discomfort of others. I think there's This is not a complete list, but I think there are three common hiding places that we have when we uh, struggle to enter into someone else's grief and pain. One is that we hide by avoiding. Can we be present with our own grief? We might struggle because we're avoiding our own grief. I used to have a a mentor in college, his name was Jim Bailey, um, and he often taught us that um, we couldn't lead others into places that we've refused to go ourselves, and that has shaped me deeply, and that can be the same dynamic at play in grief. Have you made space to process your own grief? Have you faced your own pain and maybe some some unresolved grief so that you can actually be really present with someone else's pain? If you're still too uncomfortable to sit with your own grief and pain, it will be so difficult to sit with someone else's pain and discomfort. The second thought is we often hide behind our own anxiety, Um, And again, this is not a clinical anxiety. I'm talking about the general anxiety that we carry as humans. Um, Can we let go of the fear of suffering enough to be present? For many of us, we can't sit with someone who is suffering an unpredictable and tragic loss because we carry our own anxieties and fears about whether this could happen to us. And so that clouds our ability to be fully present with someone else. And maybe that's where Job's friends start to spiral down because they start looking for answers because the temptation is to look for an answer because if something like the retribution principle is true, then I can avoid having this kind of tragedy happen to me and it makes us feel more secure. But the truth is we need to be aware of our own feelings so that when we show up, we've done our inner work, and we can be fully present in authentic ways for the people we love who are in pain. But finally, we sometimes hide behind our answers and answering. Can we be vulnerable enough to show up without answers? Can we let go of the why, maybe is another way to say it, let go of the why so that we can embrace how. We want answers to suffering. That's only natural, as I said before. And having answers makes us feel stronger and maybe more powerful. Some of us wear answers like armor. It keeps us from having to feel. But our job as a community surrounding someone who's grieving is not to have answers, not to embrace that, but to embody the how. We want to surround our loved ones who are mourning and provide that how so that they can wrestle with God about why. When we show up for those who are mourning, we carry that burden of how for them so that they can go to God and wait and see if God answers that question of why this is happening And that's the mystery of how God shows up for us in community. Because there is no standard answer we can give to why. But what I have found over the years is that what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount is true. That God does give comfort to those who mourn. And he does that in their time of need. It's not always on our schedule. It's not always with the answers we want but he does come with comfort. Now an example of this happened unfolded just last week in our sermon discussion after uh, service. And uh, by the way, it's a beautiful space to enter into if you are able. These sermon discussions are um, powerful and uh, beautiful spaces to wrestle with the word. And uh, we were we were uh, wrestling with this idea of suffering, and uh, I'm sharing this with permission, but a longtime new lifer was there named Lourdes. And uh, she was a part of this community for many, many years prior to moving to Florida and uh, contributed to this community in many ways. But during her years here, she lost two of her adult children uh, unexpectedly and tragically. And the two incidences happened some time apart from each other, but she really struggled with that question of why, and she shared that with us last week. But she stayed in community. She allowed the church community to surround her, to provide her with that how- the strength to persevere, the the ability to show up and, and provide her with that community so that she could wait on God for some of those answers. And she said it really took her over two years of praying that prayer and crying those tears before she felt like she got an answer. And she so humbly shared that with us last week, not because her answers apply to every situation. In fact, when God answers the why, it's usually so personal and so particular to the person that's mourning. But she shared it because it's a testimony that God does comfort, and sometimes God gives us an answer to the why that is meaningful for us, that we can understand. And so in that time, as New Life surrounded her and gave her that gift of space and time and presence— and she gave her the chance to wrestle with that answer, she also became a gift to this community by leading grief share groups herself and providing others with that gift of time and space and presence. It's a beautiful thing, and she has waited with many as they grieved. And actually, This gift is being made available again in this coming month in March. On Tuesday nights um, for 13 weeks, there will be a Grief Share small group that will convene to help uh, you have others to share this journey with if you're grieving the loss of a loved one. Let us give you this gift of time, of space, of presence. So what kind of friend will we be? What kind of friend will we be in times of grief and mourning for our loved ones, for our community? See, there's no shortage. Sadly, there is no shortage of people grieving in this pandemic. There is no shortage of people who have lost loved ones, who are struggling to cope especially when our normal uh, ways of grieving are not available. We can't gather for memorial services the way we used to. We can't um, surround, physically surround them with love. So my question is, how will you show up for those people in your circle who are in need of this type of support? How can you reach out this week How can you give this gift of presence even with our current limitations? How can you give time, space, presence? Maybe it's by connecting through text and phone or Zoom or FaceTime. Or maybe there's some other creative way in which you can reach out and show that they're seen, that they're loved, that you're in it for the long haul, that you empathize. Let's show up for others in the same way that Job's friends showed up for him and in the same way that Jesus shows up for us time and time again. Let's pray. Lord, we know that suffering is a heavy topic. And yet, God, we cannot escape it and these last 12 months have only uh, increased the suffering around us and in our world. And so, God, we know that there's no shortage of pain and grief and loss. And so I ask that your spirit would be with those that are struggling today that are grieving. I pray that you would comfort them, that your spirit would fill them, that they would know they are not alone. And Lord, I pray that you would guide us as a community, lead us, Bring to remembrance those that have lost loved ones as anniversaries come up of the losses, as um, the months roll on. Prompt us to remember. Prompt us to check in. Prompt us to surround them. I pray that we would continue to grow as a community who can grieve together who can sit in empathy who can enter into those sacred spaces and that healing and hope might break forth it's in jesus name that we pray amen
1: Thank you, Pastor Sharon, for that beautiful reminder of what it looks like to be a community present, even in times like these. And, you know, I can imagine some of you that are listening, you're thinking, you know what? Well, I haven't lost anybody or, you know, I'm not sick. The thing is that grief is a part of life. And so some of us have small griefs. Some of us have large ones. You could be grieving uh, the fact that you need to move. You could be grieving the fact that your child is leaving and going off to college in the fall. You could be grieving that you need to look for a new job. There are all kinds of things that we grieve. But the key for each and every one of us is to heed this message. And what is it, what is it that we need to do so that not only we can receive the support we need when we're grieving, But we can also be prepared to be those friends for others when they are going through a trial so maybe you right now are not going through something and maybe you don't even have a close friend or companion that's necessarily going through something but to prepare is a good thing and so what would it be that would stop you are you the expert that always needs to have advice Are you unconnected with your own grief, so it's hard for you to connect with someone else's grief? Are you in that third category? You just have so much fear of your own possible grief that you're unable to stop and stay present with someone else we all have something to do here friends each and every one of us some of us need to step into those grief groups some of us need to be present with those that are grieving around us right now and some of us need to do the work to prepare to be those friends so that when the time comes we're able to provide support to those around us so, look, if you're interested in talking further about this, we will have a sermon discussion right after this service. So, please join us in there. We're going to go over this sermon and just share how it's impacting us and maybe some things that we can learn and take away from it. It's an important space, and we'd love to see you in that place. Or perhaps right now, you really just, you just. You just don't know what to do. And maybe there's just a fog and you just know that you're grieving. You can't see your way out of it. You know someone close to you is grieving. You don't know what to do. We have a virtual prayer lobby. In that space, you can have someone pray for you and see you through this season. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe that's your next step. So please take advantage of that. You'll see the, um, you can click on the connection on Facebook, on YouTube, and enter into that space. on our website as well. Enter into that virtual prayer space. And then I want to speak to a special group of you. And I know there are always, every week, there are a couple of folks listening. And maybe once again, you hear this name of Jesus and you hear this talk and you yourself might be grieving, but you feel like you're not even worthy because you don't even know Jesus. You don't even know this God that Sharon, Pastor Sharon talks about. And so why would he even want to hear about what I'm going through? Well, we're here to tell you that he does care about what you're going through and we care about what you're going through. And we want to be here and help you on that journey. And so on your screen right now, you see a text. Text yes to Jesus. If you text to that number, a pastor from New Life Fellowship will reach out to you within the next 24 hours or so and just talk to you. Just be a listening presence. Hear your grief. Hear what you're going through. And help you see how our Lord is concerned, present, and loving you even at the worst moment of your life. He hasn't forgotten about you. He hasn't forgotten about you, and he's drawn you to this moment for this purpose. So please take that step and text yes to Jesus. We're going to close our space. Uh, Again, the sermon discussion lobby will be open, so please drop in there. Um, If you need prayer, please click on that and go into the virtual prayer space. And I'm going to pray for the rest of us that God would just be with us this week as we continue in this Lenten service. Join us on Wednesday. We'll have the um, noonday, uh, one o'clock actually, one o'clock prayer, about 15 minutes. So join us on Facebook or Instagram for that as well. All right? So please open, hold out, open your hands, regardless of where you are. This is just our way to kind of surrender ourselves to the Lord and help him to know that we're present and we are looking to see what he has for us and open to whatever that might be. So, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, I pray that our God of kindness, our God of mercy, our God of presence would be with you this week. That he would show you that whatever you're going through, whatever space of grief you find yourself in, whatever challenge you're facing, that he's there for you. He's present with you and he loves you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, friends. Have a great week.